0: look at the Gospel of Luke. So grab your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 13. We're going to get there in just a moment. But as we come to chapter 13 of Luke, I want to, I want to tell you something before we get into it, kind of a disclaimer. Like, Suzanne gave a disclaimer this morning saying, hey, we chose to sing a new song today, and half our worship team is sick. And so you don't ever sing a new song with missing half your worship team, but um, we did it anyways. And so I'm going to give you a disclaimer coming into chapter 13 of Luke, and it's this. Chapter 13 is not a fun chapter. We've chosen to go chapter by chapter through the Gospel of Luke and try to see the big picture of each chapter. And chapter 13 is not a feel-good chapter. Um, In it, Dr. Luke, remember that's who's writing here, Dr. Luke um, deals with some really hard things that Jesus said. Remember, Luke is, is doing investigating and he's writing to a guy named Theophilus and he's telling him all that he can find out about Jesus. And he's going to deal with some really hard things that Jesus said during his, during his preaching ministry. And before we get into the specifics of that, I just want to comment on, on that. Because I think a lot of times we come to the hard things and we just want to skip it. And you may wish that all we got from the Bible was just nice little encouraging quotes that help us feel good about ourselves or give you your best life ever or whatever. Well, the reality is... This world is kind of messed up. Anybody agree? You watch the news? This world's a little bit messed up. And it's messed up because of the influence of sin and the, and the, and the corruption, the brokenness that becomes, that's because of that. And often you and I, because we live in this world, we get tangled up in that and it affects us, whether we're, it's something we're participating in or something that's, that's forced upon us, but we get entangled in the mess of the world, and it would be unloving of God to not deal firmly with us from his word in such a way that sometimes, as we're looking at it, it the word of God, by the Spirit, grabs us and causes us to take a good, hard look at ourselves honestly, so that we're not lulled into deception or drift in the wrong direction. And I think that's a lot what chapter 13 of Luke is going to be about for us today. It's kind of God grabbing us at times. You know, that what Luke is doing here is he's, he's kind, of, kind of grabbing us by the collar in a loving way and kind of shaking us, kind of looking us in the eye and saying, do you understand what I'm saying here? This is like really serious stuff. And that's what he's talking about here. So what we're going to do here is we're going to begin by reading the first part of, of the chapter. And I'm going to explain that. And then what we're going to do is we're going to set that part aside. And we're going to come back to it in the end. So chapter 13 of Luke, we're going to look at the very first section, the first nine verses. And some of these things I really, I really love as we're going through this. Some of these things are things that Jesus said that I know sometimes we've scratched our heads for years and go, what's he talking about here? I'm hoping we can get some clarity Um, as we go through this together. And I think one of the stories we're going to look at today, you're going to go, oh, that's what that means. So Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. It says, now, on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Verse 4. Are you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who lived in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And began telling this parable. A man had a fig tree which he had planted in his vineyard and he came looking for fruit on it and it did not he did not find any. And he said to the vine keeper, behold for 3 years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, let it alone sir for this year too until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. Let's stop right there. What is the main point Jesus is making here? Because it's all tied together, verses 1 through 9. What's the main point Jesus is trying to make to the group of people? He's kind of grabbing them by the neck and shaking them a little bit, saying, I got something to tell you that's really important. It's not necessarily easy. He's saying this. This is the main point. The need for a person to repent. What's that mean? The need for a person to repent. He's saying, give stories and said, but you got to repent. Stories, you got to repent. The need for a person to recognize that the way they are going is the wrong direction. That in their life, they're heading in the wrong direction. They need to have an epiphany. Repentance really means, basically, a great way to describe it as like having an epiphany, a change of mind. You realize something for the first time maybe, or you finally acknowledge it. You recognize it, and that change of mind leads to a change in direction. So you were going this way in your life, pursuing certain things that you thought were really important, You know, going after maybe the American dream, if, 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 if that's maybe not leading you in the right direction. You're going in this direction, but you have an epiphany that this isn't the right way, and you change direction and you go the other direction. That's what repentance is about. That's what this whole context of this, these first nine verses is talking about. And in context of the scriptures, it's about recognizing that a life lived apart from God and all that includes, includes all then the sinfulness and the waywardness that would come with that, that is wrong and is destructive. It's recognizing that and turning to Jesus. Turning to Jesus to find forgiveness through him then living with him in a spirit-empowered life that is designed to bring you joy and contentment, help you to overcome the destruction of sin in your life so that we can live in a world falling apart by sin and still we can have the joy of the Lord in the midst of it. That's what repentance is all about, going from that way which is harmful and hurtful to this way which is blessed and good in Christ. And when talking about this, Jesus uses a current event. Now, to us, it's not a current event because it's 2,000 years ago. But when, when this was written, he uses a current event of their time as a teaching point. See, apparently, and there's no recorded history of this that outside of biblical evidence that no people knows, but obviously what's happened here that he's referring to is that Pilate, who's the, the Roman ruler, has killed some people from Galilee and he was a ruthless man, and Rome was ruthless, and they're dominating over the Jews in Israel. And that's what's going on. They're, they're like overlords, and they, they teach them almost like you know, they're, they're, they, they are enslaved to them. And obviously, to make a point at some point, um, he had, Pilate had taken some Galileans, and he had killed them, and to desecrate and to humiliate the Jews, he took their blood, and he mixed it with the blood of the offering in their holy temple. And that's what's going on. And Jesus uses this event to ask those people who were, who were suffering, he said, were they suffering a punishment from God, those people who that happened to, because they were greater sinners than everybody else? And Jesus says, no, it didn't happen because of that. And then he turns his attention away from them, and he, he looks on the people who are sitting in the crowd around him, and he says, and unless you repent, you're going to be worse than them. Jesus is saying, listen, every person needs repentance. Every person is guilty. No matter what situations they face, every person needs to go at some point in their life and continue in their life from going their own way to following God's way. And the hard thing Jesus is saying here is that, and if you don't repent, and he's really saying if you don't repent now, your future will be worse than the people whose blood was mingled with the offering or a tower fell on. And killed. And then Jesus tells a parable to emphasize a point. Sometimes you're reading this and you go, Well, what's this story all of a sudden have to do with anything? If you look and dig deep, you'll figure out how that story is relating back to what he just says. So he tells a story about a, a parable about a fig tree. And the fig tree, what's what's unique about the fig tree? There's a fig tree, it's at least three years old, but it's not producing any figs. And he tells about how the owner of the tree told the gardener just to cut it down because it's wasting space. But how the gardener said to give it one more year, and he's going to dig around it and fertilize it and give it one more chance. One more chance. And if next year it doesn't produce figs, well, then you can cut it down. Remember what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about fig trees. He's not really talking about gardening here. Jesus was making a point about repentance. He's saying that a person has the opportunity to repent. The scripture talks about bearing fruit of repentance. He's talking about the fact that, that a person has the opportunity, the time, and the opportunity and the chance today to repent, to change direction. And that God is being really patient with people. He's saying, God is the one in the story saying, Well, whoa, wait, wait, don't cut it down. God is the one in the story saying, wait, let me dig around it and, and fertilize it and give it another year. God is the one saying, I want to be patient. But the moral of the story is that eventually time's going to come to an end. And the one who, who had the opportunity to repent, to change directions, and did not, is going to suffer a difficult fate, cut down. Earlier you said it's worse than a tower falling on you or you're being killed and your blood being mixed with the sacrifice. He's saying you're going to have a really significant negative future outcome. So he's talking about repentance here and the need to repent now. And that if you don't repent, your future's bleak. Now, you get that? Picture that's what he's teaching in the first nine verses. Now, I want you to take that. Go like this with me. Come on. You can do it. Do this and set it aside. Can you do it? Come on, set it aside for a moment. Some of you just have a hard time moving in church. So set it aside. Don't forget about it, but set it aside for just a moment because we're going to come back to it. Because it's going to be the ending point of the whole, of the whole message today. So Jesus, Luke goes on then in chapter 13. So we're going to go on. He makes this point, but we're going to go on. Now, first of all, he tells a story about healing. And really, that ties to what he's going to say next. But we're going to just kind of gloss over the story about healing. It's a talking about the reality of the kingdom of God. And Luke then begins an explanation about the kingdom of God. So look at, we're going to read verses 18 to 30 together. So let me, let me read this for you, starting in verse 18 and 30. So he's talked about repentance. Then he's talked about the power of the kingdom of God. Now he's going to make some, some teachings, clear teachings about the kingdom of God. What happens, the kingdom of God is the place you end up when you repent and you follow Jesus. So verse 18. So he was saying, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and threw into his own garden... And it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, or yeast, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. And he was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord... Are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know who you are or where you're from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you're from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being thrown out. And they will come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. This whole section is tied to what we just did, but its, it's whole section is about entrance into the kingdom of God. If I repent, I'm turning from my own way to God's way. God's way is the kingdom, his kingdom living under his rule and his reign. This whole section is about entrance into the kingdom. And he's asking this basically this way. Who is in the kingdom? Who has eternal life in Christ? And it starts with Jesus giving two short parables, two short stories, a parable of a mustard seed and the parable of yeast. And did you notice that both of them really are saying the exact same thing? They're the same story. He's just telling the same thing with different examples. The kingdom of God, life with Jesus, this is the, this is the moral of the story, because he said it, it's like the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, or life with Jesus, started off small, like a little tiny mustard seed or a little bit of yeast. It started off small. It started off with Jesus and his 12 disciples, ministering on the backside of nowhere, in an unknown place that nobody cared about, and Jesus, when he began his kingdom, didn't, didn't begin his kingdom with some huge military conquest. He didn't do what he could do as God coming to earth. He didn't overthrow Roman, the Roman Empire and establish a new empire for himself and, and set up a, a whole kingdom of conquest. No, the kingdom of God, he says, started off small, like a little tiny seed. Just a few followers, tiny. But it just keeps on growing, like a mustard plant that grows from a little seed. It just keeps on growing to be a, a larger a large bush in the garden. Or like a yeast, a little bit of yeast spreads through an entire lump of dough. The kingdom is continually growing and spreading slowly, one person at a time. And many of us here in this room are evidence of this. You realized your need of Jesus. So what did you do? You changed direction. You repented. You turn from a self ruled life to to giving your life to God and living a God ruled, controlled, blessed life. And now you are in the kingdom of God, living under his provision and living under his protection. And this kingdom just keeps on growing. That's God's plan expansion and increase. Some of you in here maybe are not in the kingdom yet, but it's going to grow. When you say yes to Jesus and you invite him into your life and say, I need, I want to stop living my self-willed way. It's not working so well. I want to live God's way. That's entrance into the kingdom. And that just keeps growing by person after person. That's why we make a big deal around here about giving to our ministry called Kingdom Builders. It's why we have the name Kingdom Builders. We are partnering with ministries all around the world that are helping people come to know Jesus, expanding the kingdom one person at a time. Expand it. Build the kingdom. So Jesus is saying, listen, this kingdom of mine keeps on growing. But Jesus didn't stop with just talking about kingdom growing. He next tries to help this man that asked the question, understand that the only way into the kingdom is through himself, is through Jesus. See, this is a... This is a Jewish man asking Jewish Jesus a question, and that's really important. He asks the question Will just a few people be saved? Will just a few people enter into the kingdom? And in the context we need to understand, because this is a, a Jewish man who, who had, had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for, his, for, the, for the patriarchs. And Moses has given the law that God gave to men. They thought they were the only ones with the truth, the only ones living it out. And this Jewish man believed that only Jews would be allowed into the kingdom. And he even believed, as a, as a normal Jewish man, that many Jews would not be allowed into the kingdom. That if you were poor, or if you were sick, or hang on to your hats, if you were a woman you wouldn't be allowed into the kingdom. That's what that man 2,000 years ago that asked the question of Jesus would have believed in the context he lived in because that's what they were taught. And that's the question he's asking. Are only a few people going to enter in? He thought he was in because he's a healthy Jewish male, so I know I'm in, but only are a few going to go in? So he asked, will only a few be saved? Now, remember, this is in context of Luke showing that the kingdom of God is growing and growing and growing. And notice what Jesus does and what Jesus doesn't do. First of all, Jesus didn't answer his question. You notice that? He asked Jesus the question. Jesus didn't answer the question. Rather, he turns the focus, turns the attention, like he did in the previous situations about the towers falling and the sacrificed blood. He turns attention onto the people that are there, onto the man, and he says, you strive to enter through the narrow door. In other words, instead of worrying about how many other people will be in the kingdom, it's always interesting to me. When I deal with people that are investigating things of Christ, one of the first things they always bring up, they go, but what about all the people everywhere else? And I always say, you know what? That's for another day. I don't necessarily have an answer for that. That's, that's perfect. But let's not worry about everybody else right now. That's a diversion. Jesus brings it back to the real thing. He says, what about you? He says, you need to think about you. He looks at him and says, are you in the kingdom? This man who would have assumed, because he's a male, healthy, Jewish man, I've got to be in the kingdom. He looks at you and the man and he says, are you in the kingdom? Now, this would have been a foreign thought to him. He would have believed that simply because he was who he was, he would be in the same, he would be saved, it's the word he used, he would be saved, he would be in the kingdom. But Jesus wants him to understand something here. Being in the kingdom isn't about being a certain nationality. It's not about being born into the right family. It's not about going to the right church. It's not about being in the right denomination in our thinking of today. It's all about knowing Jesus as Savior. That Jesus is the plan of God for entrance into the kingdom of God and that there is no other way. Say something with me today. Say no other way. That's being challenged in our day and age a lot. This is important. Jesus is saying he is the narrow door. Enter by the narrow door. Now, some people, particularly in our culture today, could say, Well, that sounds awful, bigoted, and exclusive, and arrogant. Saying, You have the only way. Hear me today. That is not exclusive, it is gracious. It is not exclusive to say there's only one way, it is gracious. Just say there's no let me explain. All humanity is lost in its sin. We started off talking about the world's a mess. All humanity, that's what the scriptures teach, and you don't have to wonder if it's true. Just look at the news. All humanity is lost and corrupted because of sin. That Jewish man in this story just didn't know what affected him. He thought, well, I'm all right just because of where I'm born, what family I'm into. Jesus is shaking us up. He's doing this, remember? He's shaking us. He's shaking the man and going, No, I got you. You got to understand deeper than your surface little understanding. I want you to understand deeper that all mankind is lost in sin, even though a Jewish man didn't know it, and lost humanity can't do anything to fix their own spiritual lostness. But God loves humankind so much that he made a way for us to find forgiveness and new life. An entrance into the kingdom of God, and the way is Jesus. Friends, that's not exclusive. There was no other way. Imagine this. This place is going to blow up in 36 seconds. Somebody planted a bomb. We don't have any doors. We don't have any windows except for one door back there. And I say, hey, the building's going to blow up in 36 seconds. In an orderly fashion, let's get up out of our chairs and walk and exit that door. Would you think I was being exclusive? Well, I want other ways to get out of the building. Well, there is no other way. There's one way. Because that's the way the architects built the building, one door. Well, that's why we have multiple doors in here. So that's why the arch- If that's the way that they built it, the architects built it. Well, the architect of all humanity did not intend for mankind to rebel against him and walk away, and he made a way for us to come back. And the way is Jesus. It's not exclusive. It's an offer of acceptance. God is offering that he will accept anyone and everyone who wants to enter his kingdom by his way. That's what he's saying. Everybody is welcome to come to me, and I'll give you a way to do it. Now, that's what Jesus was addressing when he was talking about who gets shut out of the kingdom. Because that's one of the really hard sections of this this chapter, about people being shut out of the kingdom. And look what it says. It says they heard about Jesus, but they didn't know him as Jesus. It says this, didn't know where you were from. In other words, there's no relationship. There's no connection. There's no reality to a relationship. I don't even know who you are, where you're from. Jesus was addressing the Jewish misunderstanding that they could just get into heaven just by being Jewish, without accepting him as the way, as God's only way, his gracious way into the kingdom. And Jesus is making the point. He says, listen, unless you come in through the way that God has made available, then you will, look at what he says exactly, you will be on the outside looking in. He says, you will see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom, but you will be left out. Jesus is welcoming that man and us to be part of the growing kingdom. He says it's growing and it's growing and it's growing if we will enter through receiving Jesus as Savior and Lord. In fact, Jesus reinforces the point that the kingdom is expanding and all are welcome to come into it through the door, through him as the door, the door that God has provided by saying something that would have blown the mind of this Jewish man that was listening to Jesus talk. He says this in verse 29. He says, in fact, about the kingdom, people will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and recline at the table in the kingdom. What's he saying? In other words, he's saying people from all over the world. What that would have meant to that man was non-Jews, outsiders, Gentiles, people from all over the world, Gentiles like you and me, are invited into the kingdom. Then we have to be born Jewish, that we're invited into the kingdom. Those looked at as last by that man and the Jews who looked at as last because they weren't part of the right family will in fact be first and will feast at the table with Jesus in the kingdom of God. Jesus was grabbing this guy by the collar and saying, listen, you don't get to make the rules. God has made the rules. He has made a way for anyone to enter His kingdom. And Jesus is basically saying this. And he says this, this way, different than other places. He's saying, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. In this case, he's saying, I am the narrow door. And he's saying, you too can enter in, but it must be by repenting, changing from the way you are going to going a new direction, recognizing that the only way is Jesus recognizing it, epiphany, oh my goodness, this is God, this is Jesus, this is the gift, I'm going to turn towards him and, and, and receive his gift and follow him as my Lord and my Savior. That's what he's saying. And I believe something today, that I'm not sure there's a more important message that we could talk about in all of Scripture in our society right here in Ozaki, in Washington, in Sheboygan County today. I'm not sure there's a more important message than this message from Luke 13. Because we live in a society that thinks it gets to make the rules up themselves. That's the reality of how we're living today. We live in a world, and it affects me because I've been raised to be like you, to be this you know, independent, rugged, individualist, American, you know, um, hard-working, take-care-of-yourself kind of a thing. I get it. So we also, in, 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 in that think, and I get to make my own rules. I do it my way. I'm going to make my own way in this world. And in that thinking, we can believe that we really do make the rules. And we say things like, well, I'm going to do what I think is right. Or this, well, what I believe is right is right for me, but what you believe is right is right for you. Well, I believe this. It's okay for you to believe that, but I believe this. Well, every person on the planet has a right, a freedom to believe whatever they choose. Every person. But what Jesus is communicating here, and Luke is relating, is that there are consequences for those choices. Someone can choose to reject Jesus. You can, we can choose to reject Jesus' offer of grace. We can reject Jesus flat out and say, "I'm going to do- Jesus. You know what? I'm going to do it my way. Thanks for the offer, but I'm going to do it my way." We have the full freedom to do that. Any person, any one of you can do that. You have the right. But he's just trying to point out, yeah, you have the right to do that. But he's saying in the kingdom, at the end, that someday it's going to come to this whole thing's going to wrap up he's talking to this Jewish man, but he's also talking to us, and he goes, and you can find yourself on the outside looking in. That's what he's talking about here. This is not a fun, feel-good, just-everybody-get-warm-fuzzies kind of message. He's going, no, listen, you have the right to do what you want, but there's consequences to every decision we make. Someone can choose to reject Jesus' offer of grace, and he won't force himself on them. But as Jesus is saying here, in the end, that will leave you on the outside looking in. And that's not what God wants for anyone. That's not God's plan for anyone. He wants everyone in his kingdom. So that then brings us back to the beginning of the chapter, verses 1 through 9. How do we get in? How do we become part of the kingdom? What must we do? We repent if we haven't, and we turn to Jesus. And and repentance, sometimes we misunderstand. We think repentance is a a one-time act. Repentance is a continual wrestling with the recognition of what we know to be true. You recognize what's true. Jesus is Lord and Savior, and I want to live under his rule and reign. Well, I have to keep doing that because we talk about in communion a lot. We have a tendency to drift. Repentance is the, the return back to the right way, the right path. It all comes down to living a life of following the Lord his way. And I know that's not a popular way to think today. It's not popular to say, somebody else tell me I've got to do it a certain way. I don't like it. In this case, I love it because it saves your life for eternity. But this is, God is the one who made the rules. There is a God in heaven. He did create the whole earth. We live by his goodness and his grace. And he made the rules. And he's talking about here the need to say, okay, I'm willing to follow your rules and do it your way to enter by the narrow gate. The narrow gate is Jesus. Now, I don't mean to be any way melodramatic, but I'm trying to be as honest as I can with this scripture. That's why I say it's way easier just to skip things. We come back to the story in the beginning of the fig tree. And the message of the fig tree is that the master looks at it and says, it's not showing fruit of repentance. There's no evidence that it's real, that the person has turned from their way to God's way. There's no evidence. There's no figs. There's no fruit. There's no fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Rather than that, there's fruit of the flesh: anger, hatred, fighting, selfishness. Da da da. And what he's saying is, you're not saved because of the fruit, but the fruit proves whether where you're, where you're planted, basically, what a kingdom. And the point of that message, and again, I'm not trying to be melodramatic, is that there's a time coming when he says, it's done. And a lot of times in this life, we think, I'll just put these things off till tomorrow. I'll just put off going all in with Jesus till tomorrow. The reason he's saying that this is a hard thing, he's shaking us by the collar, is he's saying, you don't know if you have tomorrow because there's a point where the master's going to say, cut the tree down, it didn't bear any fruit. Or he's gonna say in the terms of the guy at the wedding feast that are on the outside looking in, but, but Master, you taught in our streets. He's like, Yeah, no, but you weren't you weren't in the kingdom. You didn't come through the narrow gate, the narrow door, which is Jesus. I think we should end by just being honest about this and asking ourselves. Have we really said yes to Jesus? Are we really all in? Are we really saying, God, I'm willing to do it your way, not my way? Let's invite you to stand with me this morning. didn't write this. You did. You inspired by your spirit this word to be recorded in this situation, just recording of what you, Jesus, taught while you were walking on earth. And Lord, I've done my best to try to figure out what it means, and I really believe we've hit the heart of what it means. This whole idea of the need to to repent, and we sometimes, especially, think of that as just somebody just coming into the kingdom. And you've tied it to that, but you've taken it broader and saying it's it's how we live our lives, our lives of willing surrender to your way, to looking to you. And Lord, that's what we that's what we want to be open to today. Lord, I think a lot of times we will go the way we go just because we don't really understand it any different. Today I ask by your spirit that you just open up our minds and our hearts to grasp the beauty of the gift that you offer us in yourself. That, Lord, it's not about attending Portview Church. It's not about being religious. It's about welcoming it's saying I want to live in your kingdom not my kingdom. I don't want to live in my kingdom Monday through Saturday and on Sunday say I put my my hour or hour and a half in in your kingdom but I want to live and rule and reign in your kingdom where, where I recognize that my energy is your energy. I recognize that my time is your time. I recognize that my body and whatever you want to do through it is your body. I recognize that that the house I live in is yours, and the car I drive is yours, and the money in the savings account is yours, and you care for us through it all. But that we're living in your kingdom; that you are the one who rules and reigns. You're the one who who um, who makes the rules, and the rules are all love. The rules are all good. The rules are all for our blessing. But you're the one who who sets the course that Lord somehow today our hearts would be opened more to that than they ever have been before and that we just say yes to you we say yes to you and so Lord this morning as we're here in this place and we're just in a moment of prayer our heads are bowed our eyes are closed I just want to ask the very real question of our church family today. Are you saying yes to Jesus? To say, I want to do it your way, which is the best way, which is the blessed way, but it's His way. Are you ready to say, Jesus, for some, maybe for the very first time, you want to say, Jesus... I need you in my life. I need you to be my Savior and my Lord. I want to turn from my own self-willed way and I want to begin today the first day of a journey of following after you. Even though I don't know what that all entails, I want to begin the journey. This moment of prayer with her heads bowed and her eyes closed. If you say, you know what, Pastor Mark, I want to begin that journey today. I want you to do something between you and me and God because no one else is looking around. I want you just to raise up your hand. When I see you, I'm going to tell you to put it back down. Okay. You can put it down. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. Anybody else? Okay. You can put your hands down if you want. You don't have to keep them up. I'm going to pray for people all across this building. I'm going to invite everybody to pray with me this morning everybody to pray with me. There's no special words. We're just talking to God. Let's talk to Him together. And you, If you raise your hands, join in this prayer. Dear Jesus, today, I bow to you. I want to do it your way, not my way. So on this day, I surrender myself to you. I give you my life. I ask you to receive me. Forgive all my sins. Wipe me clean. Make me brand new. And on this day, I want to begin a brand new life with you as my Savior and my Lord. And on this day, I want to enter your kingdom where you are God, where you provide, where you protect, and where I listen, and I follow, and I obey. So on this day, I give myself without reservation to you in Jesus' name. For those of you who said yes to that today, the Bible says that he's telling stories, in the Bible he's telling stories about how much God loves people, and he says that when one person responds and comes into the kingdom, he says there's more of a party in heaven. literally shows a picture of a party in heaven. More celebrating in heaven than if 99 people who already know the Lord are, are just with him. Because it's about the kingdom expanding. And today our kingdom, the kingdom of God, has expanded. And I would just say this to you. If you, if you are here and, and uh, you said yes to Jesus, because if, if, I don't know who you are, if, if you, um, some of you, if you um, don't have a church home, we welcome you into ours. We want to help you grow and, and, and go forward. If you have a church home, man, get involved Learn, grow. If you've got questions, we're here for you. We want to help you grow and develop in Jesus. That's a good thing, right? I would say this. I challenge you to do something. If you said yes to Jesus today, before your head hits the pillow, I challenge you to tell somebody else. It could be me up front here afterwards or somebody else. Best somebody else. If you know somebody else, who actually follows Jesus, who is a believer, who is in the kingdom, tell them what you did today. Don't keep it a secret. we got this crazy idea that spiritual things are secret, they're personal. They are personal, but we're part of a family. The reason that you, a big reason that you came to experience the presence of God today and you can respond is because of other people around you who came in early and prayed, who practiced to lead worship, to set an atmosphere where you could receive. And then a bunch of other people are here in the presence of God because when we're gathered in His presence, there's a special dynamic of His reality among us. It's why it's so important for us to gather together because sometimes your very presence and your prayers can make a difference for somebody else to have the opportunity to say yes to Christ. And so if you experience that today, we welcome you into our family, if you don't have another church family but for church family for the rest of you god may have spoken to you today about saying you know what you've been drifting yeah there was a day you did what some of these people did today but you're drifting and you're really doing it my way instead of his way you that's repentance change your direction make a covenant with god today make a talk to him about it make a deal with him today say god i want to go back here.